I'll be reading from Ezra also. Some of us that know the Bible, we know that uh, Ezra also, they, we are also fasted. Hallelujah. We are going to, I'm going to read the word of God from Ezra 8, 21 to 23. Hallelujah. I'm reading from Amplified in the name of Jesus. Dear by the Havana Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children. With all our possessions, I was ashamed to ask the king of soldiers and us men to protect us from enemies on the road because we are told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks on him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, Mariatu. All right. So in our four-week series on fasting, today we're talking about how fasting amplifies our prayers. And there's something that happens when you combine prayer and fasting that is just inexplainable, absolutely unique, but very, very powerful. And I've been reading a bit, little bit on fasting in preparation for this series. Several different authors that, that have a lot of experience fasting, have researched fasting and stuff like that. And, and I've, I, I've not found a conclusive answer on what it, how this works. Why is it that fasting and prayer together is, is so powerful? Why, why is that? And, and, and many of these authors and people, they, 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 they're trying to find words around it to kind of describe what happens and why it is so powerful. But there's never a sort of conclusive answer, like, this is why. This is kind of the, the formula. This is, this is how that happens. Prayer and fasting is just something that we are called to do in faith and obedience, I'm convinced. There's something that fasting unlocks, something that we that we access, something that happens that just would not happen if we only pray and not fast. But it's, it's impossible to measure it, and it's impossible to kind of put it into a little doctrine or uh, into a formula. See, when you, when you try to put fasting in a formula, like this is how it works, and when you fast for so long or in this way, and then you pray, or, and, 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 and then this will happen. Because if, if you put fasting in a formula... It's, it becomes a little bit like a child that's holding its breath until the little breath gets from daddy what he wants. Like, I want ice cream. And it starts to go all purple. Like, I'm going to hold my breath until you do what I want. So this is not what fasting is like. This is not how fasting works. So, so in that sense, fasting is not like a hunger strike. It's not like, a, like I'm going to stick doing this until you give me what I want, and then, then it works. It's not a way to pressure God into doing something that you want. However, fasting is a mighty weapon that God has given us to amplify our prayers, to amplify me that, that, it, that it speaks louder. And how that works exactly and why it is through fasting, honestly, I won't be able to give you a conclusive answer, but I, I can give you some things 
around it that may that may help you and that inspire you and it comes from my personal experience and the experience of of others it's a way to amplify our prayers to be heard on high and to hear from on high perhaps the best thing for us to do is not to try to understand it and kind of capture it into a little teaching but just to to do it as a, as a faithful response to God's invitation. In the book God's Chosen, God's Chosen Fast, Arthur Wallace says this, when a person is willing to set aside the legitimate appetites of the body to concentrate on the work of praying, they are demonstrating that they mean business, that they are asking with all their heart and will not, uh, will not let go unless he answers. In this message, we're going to explore further connection between prayer and fasting. I'm really not going to try to kind of resolve that, that mystery on why exactly this is so powerful. But just to be inspired by scripture and by the testimonies of people. Uh, be inspired and be motivated to give fasting a place in our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, in the teaching again that you're going to listen to in the, in the coming week when you meet with your group and you, uh, you look to the, the teaching of uh, practicing the way, um, they're going to mention two reasons, basically, or two, two things that are going on as we fast and we pray, how this kind of amplifies our prayers, two things that are, that are equally important, that it's to be heard by God and it's to hear from God. So these are two different Directions, if you will. Through fasting, in addition to prayer, there's a relational nearness between us and God where he is able to use our prayers more powerfully and where we hear his voice more clearly. That's the summary of it. So let's briefly focus first on hearing from God and then we will return to the teaching passage to understand more about how, what it means to be heard by God. So first, hearing from God. See, listening to God and discerning His will takes effort. It's a, it's a learning process. It takes intent, it takes focus, it takes practice. And here in the vineyard, we love doing times of ministry and, and where we, we learn to pray for others. We, we like praying for others. We believe that actually every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. And therefore can learn to pray for others in a way, um, kind of partnering with the Holy Spirit, hearing from Him. So we, we strongly believe that we can hear, um, we, we can minister to people hearing from God what He's trying to say to someone. Or kind of leading uh, another person in that way. And it's something that we practice, something that we learn, it comes with experience, it comes, so we want to... Create this, this environment where it's safe also to, to, to practice, where we can do that in, in a humble and an authentic way. So we believe that you know, God wants to use us to speak to people. However, when it comes to discerning God's will for your own life, I found that often a lot more difficult. <laughs> you know, it's, it's somewhat... Easy, like when you're praying for someone, you're like, I feel like the Lord is maybe saying this. What does that mean to you? Like, that's, that's you know, that will come, that will grow. Um, but to really hear God, like, oh, like this big decision that you're facing, yeah, I want you to do that. Like, this is how I'm guiding you. Somehow, that's, that's, that's more difficult. It takes even more 
intention and, and, and focus. Because when you discern God's will for your own situation, um, you also have to kind of go through the wilderness of your own thoughts and emotions and maybe prejudice or past experiences and preferences and to really then discern like this, it, it seems like this is the will of God. It's difficult. It's difficult. And so fasting is a way to lay all of that bare, all, all, everything that's going on in our bodies, in our thoughts, in our hearts, and everything that's going on to really hear him clearly and to discern what his will is in the matter. So through the combination of prayer and fasting, we kind of bring ourselves back into alignment with God. We want to discern his will for a certain situation. And this means letting go of our own preconceived ideas and focusing on what God might have to say about it. Fasting, in this sense, helps us to hit the reset button, to listen afresh to what God really is saying in the matter that we're praying about. Okay, moving on to being heard by God. So back to the teaching text for today. Ezra is about to lead this whole community of Jews out of Babylon back to the promised land. So <laughs> you know the story of the Israelites from Egypt on the way to the promised land took a while. Uh, first couple of books of the Bible are about that. This is years later, uh, almost a millennium later. Um, and they, um, after a whole history in Israel, uh, they are exiles now in Babylon. But God made a promise, 70 years, and then you'll be able to return back to Jerusalem. And so this is the moment. This is the, the moment that's been prophesied and promised. And Ezra is now going to lead this community of people. It's not as big as the Exodus in the time of Moses, but it's, it's a significant group of people that are being released by the king of Persia, and they are sent back to Jerusalem to resettle there, to kind of rebuild their country, to everything. And Ezra was so full of faith, <laughs> and he was so excited about this assignment of God, and so sure that God was in this, that he had spoken to him personally, that he had promised this long ago, that it was the fulfillment of prophecy, that he did a holy boast to the king and said, you know what, we're going, you know, for weeks through the desert with all our possessions, with our women and children, but we're going to be fine. We don't need a military escort as we do so. We'll be okay because the Lord's hand is on us. So you're like, yeah, full of the spirit. And then time came when they're about to leave and he looks around and he's like, oh my head, we're going to go through the desert for several weeks with all our women and children and all our possessions. And this is not a like smooth path there. It's full of robbers. It's, it's we're vulnerable. It's super dangerous. And I've already boasted to the king saying, like, we don't need any help because the Lord's hand is on us. And so he realizes, yeah, Lord, you really have to come through for us in this. And so then he calls this time of prayer and fasting, doesn't say how long it was. And they fast and they pray together and then they go and the Lord answers this prayer. It was a risky operation. But the Lord came through for them. Now, a couple of things that I love about this story. First, it really shows the 
power of collective prayer and fasting. Yeah, when they, when they do it together as a community, they were praying and fasting together for something. And they were seeing the miracle together. There's something about a whole community seeking God wholeheartedly. In the book of Jeremiah, it even says that the fate of a whole nation can be averted in this way. That God's righteous just, uh, justice that should come can be averted through prayer and fasting. We see that happening in the history of uh, the Ninevites when Jonah comes. And Jonah, when he finally makes it after the short episode in the fish, he goes to Nineveh, Nineveh which is... Uh, was. These were cruel people, the uh, Assyrians, and this, this city was so full of demonic activity and just cruelty. And so he goes and he, he goes through the whole city and he preaches around God's, God's, God's righteous justice is coming. His judgment is coming. And they hear this and they realize this is a true prophet and they repent together and they call a, a nationwide fast and they pray and they... they Repent before God, and as they repent of their sins, God relents of his judgment. Under the new covenant, after Jesus, fasting is not a way that it's not something that we need to do to avert God's righteous judgment over us, because Jesus has already taken that on himself. On the cross, his God's judgment and his love came fully together and so god doesn't look to us with eyes of judgment yeah we are we're righteous in his sight we're we're under grace however fasting is still a way that we can stand in the gap for other people that we can stand in the gap praying for other people and it's powerful it's something that we can do in daniel 9 for example we see daniel praying and fasting calling on God's mercy and reminding him of his promises and praying a prayer of repentance on behalf of his people as they are in exile. Uh, Daniel did this, didn't do this because he himself was sort of under the wrath of God, but he fasted and prayed on behalf of his people. Secondly, what I like about this history with, uh, with Ezra is that Ezra prays and fasts for something that is already in line with God's will. Ezra is fasting and praying for something that God has already promised, for something God has already prophesied. But he calls his whole community to fast and to pray that God would lead them back to Jerusalem in a safe way. This was in the will of God. Yeah? God gave Ezra a personal assignment, lead them there. It was, a, it was a, an, an angel, like, like, like a, a prophecy that had been written down even in the book of Jeremiah. This is going to happen after 70 years. I'm going to lead you back to, to Jerusalem. Like This was prophesied. This was promised. And Ezra calls the community to fast and to pray in line with something that God has already Promise. They were seeking God for protection through prayer and fasting, not because they doubted his promise, but because they believed in it. And there's a bit of a tension there. Ezra and the community, they're praying and fasting for something God had already promised, 
So it should be so so why would you still pray for it? Why would you even pray and fast for this if if it's already sure, if it's already sort of within God's will? How does it work? Would they have not been protected if they had not prayed, if they had not fasted? Less protected? How does prayer affect God anyway? Are we asking him to do stuff for us? Or if it's just a matter of us coming more in line with his will? Is prayer affecting God or is prayer just affecting us? And the interesting thing is that the Bible doesn't really solve this tension anywhere. All it does is hint at both sides of the question. Yeah. So it's Jesus who says at one point... Prayer is like a child asking his loving father for a peanut butter sandwich. And then he's not going to go, oh, here's a stone. Like, like, God is a loving father. And so prayer is just like a child asking his loving father for normal and good things. Why don't you do it? Why don't you pray like a child? Why don't you believe like a child? And we're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, thank you so much. And then the other time he's giving us a parable. Like prayer is like, like you should always pray and never give up. Just like this widow that's begging an unjust judge for justice. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just like a witness. He knocks on his door and she keeps on bothering him. She keeps on asking him, like, give me justice, give me justice. And this guy's like, I bother him. Like, like, and until he's sick and tired of like, all right, here's justice for you. And so prayers like that. Like, okay. So what kind of God are we praying to then? Is it a loving father or is it almost like an unjust judge? But how does this then work? Is, is prayer just like a child that's asking for something that he needs where he's completely dependent? Or is it like going on a hunger strike until you get what you want? And why does the book of Malachi say, I, the Lord, do not change? But the book of Hosea say, My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Does prayer affect God? Does prayer change him? Or does it only change us? So the German theologian Karl Barth, seeing no contradiction in God who chooses to be affected by prayer, commented this on this question. He says, God is not deaf. He listens. More than that, He acts. He does not act in the same way whether we pray or not. Prayer exerts an influence upon God's action, even upon his existence. That is what the word answer means. The fact that God yields to man's petitions, changes his intentions in response to man's prayer, and it's not a sign of weakness. He himself, in the glory of his majesty and power, has so willed it. See, throughout the whole of Scripture, we see God's desire to partner with human beings in seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he planted a garden and then put Adam and Eve to care for it, to work it, to as you say, spread the beauty of Eden all around the world, to, to multiply it, to continue that, to add to that even their own creativity that he had created in them. 
Later on, he chose a nation to, to bless it and so that every nation would be blessed. And he chose prophets to speak through, priests to mediate his presence, kings to rule under his direction. And somehow, all of that, that whole Old, Test Old Testament history, comes together in Jesus when he sends out his disciples to go into the world with the message of the gospel. It's a renewal of that first commandment to Adam and Eve to extend the beauty of Eden all over the world. It's okay, let's go bring the kingdom wherever you go. And Jesus is sending his people out, the renewed people of God, to fulfill the mission given to Abraham to be a blessing to all nation, nations. And this renewed people of God now function as prophets that he speaks through, priests that worship him, and kings that rule on his behalf. All of this to say just that God loves to partner with his people to see his kingdom come and to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So why doesn't he just do what he wants? Why does prayer even affect him? It's because he wants to partner with us. He wants to involve us in his big restoration project. He wants to involve us in spreading the good news of the gospel. He wants to involve us as his people of his kingdom to see his kingdom come on earth. Through prayer, we collaborate with God to see his will being done on earth. And fasting amplifies those prayers. It brings us even closer into relationship with God. And it helps us to hear him even clearer for direction. And it aligns our prayers with his, uh, with his will even better and strengthens our commitment in prayer. Prayer and fasting is not just a tool in the Christian toolbox that comes in handy when you need it. It's a powerful weapon to deploy because we are in a war. In the book God's Chosen Fast, Arthur Wallace says, prayer is far more complex than a child ask, uh, asking a loving father to supply his need. Prayer is warfare. Prayer is God inviting us to join in his fight. And to share in his victory. We're going to close off with two more practical things when it comes to prayer and fasting. In this series, we are talking mostly about pre uh, fasting as a rhythm. So even as uh, what Mariata shared uh, earlier, she, prays uh, she fasts twice a week. And this is, all, this is for us, that's the reach exercise in the Practicing the Way teaching that we're going through. Right? So we're starting with... Try and fast for like 24 hours or from dinner to dinner next day. Or if you don't make dinner next day, then three o'clock, have something. Um, but try and fast for, for one day a week. Just to try this out. Just to build it into the, in, into the rhythm of your life. It's a day that you dedicate to God and that you pray and you fast. And you, as, as the hunger pains come, you are reminded like, oh, I'm actually hungry for you. And as a way that God is changing you from the inside. Let's just build that into the rhythms of our lives. Interesting thing is in the Bible we see, when we, when we see fasting happening, like a teaching passage today in Ezra, it's a, it's a response. 
right? It's, it's something they deploy for a certain situation. It's for a certain occasion that, okay, we're going to pray and we're going to fast for, for God to come through for us. Now, I'm convinced that when fasting is built into the rhythm of your life, it is much easier to also deploy it in response. Because the you already have the experience of fasting. You already know what it is like, how it works, what happens in you. And so it will become easier to deploy for a certain moment. Even as a weekly rhythm practice, you can attach a specific prayer request or even an ongoing prayer request to that. This may help you even on the day of your fasting, when the hunger pains come, when you think like, oh, I really should just have a sandwich or something. Like you, it, it makes it more meaningful. It adds to your motivation. It's, it reminds you of what you're praying for. Now, secondly... Just a little practical thing. When you pray and when you fast, um, is make it specific. If, you, if you're, if you're so, this, so this is specific to, to the combination of prayer and fasting. When you do that, make your prayer specific. Yeah? If, you're, if you need to hear God's voice about something or if you really need God to hear your voice about something, make it, make it concrete, make it clear. If you make clear requests, uh, it's far more likely you also get clear answers. In um, his book on fasting, Tony Evans gives a very practical advice that I like. He says, when you, um, he says when, you, when you fast and pray, get a piece of paper, make two columns, and in the left column write as specific as possible what you're praying for. And then at the end of your fast, Kind of write down in what ways God has been answering those prayers, as specific as you can. Just as a way to make it visible what you're praying for and how God has answered those prayers. Having a clear goal for your fasting, especially um, when you deploy it outside of a rhythm of, um, uh, of fasting for a special occasion, is really going to help you and motivate you to keep on going with your fast. And then when the hunger pains come, they just serve as reminders. I'm praying for this. Like, so you shoot up a ladder, another prayer. I'm praying for this. I'm serious about this. I'm willing to go all the way for this, God. I need you to hear my voice. Amen.